When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Nanny Metz. Today, we are previewing Senior Day for the Kansas Jayhawks. Yes, that means that the Kansas State Wildcats are coming to town, which, of course, means only one thing. Um, I've been told that these are some of the best episodes that this podcast has when uh, when our guest today comes on because of the back and forth. It is Scott McFarland, a.k.a. Scott Wildcat on Twitter. He is the host of the Bosco's Boy Podcast he, right here on the 1012 Podcast Network. Scott, how you doing today? Doing well. Uh, always fun to come on any of the ten twelve shows, and, and yes, I, I think that there is a a slight uh, you know perversion that folks enjoy when we're on the mic together because uh, we do give each other a little bit of back and forth, and, and I always enjoy it. And and I, I like to say this anytime I go on any ten twelve podcast uh, that, that I'm just really proud to be part of this network. Uh, I, I really think that everything that Philip did and you've been his right-hand man, I think maybe since the start. So, you know, always enjoy going on these shows and, and I'm, I'm really proud to be part of the network that is for the fans, by the fans covering, you know, these big 12 schools and the conference all together. So I always like to throw that in there when I go on one of my fellow 10, 12 uh, network shows. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, Philip and I both were trying to find a network for our respective podcasts and decided that we would just make one. So uh, we launched it. Oh gosh, it's been now three years almost, or maybe more than three years. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, going strong, and of course, looking now, we're going to have to add more podcasts because there's now more Big Big Twelve teams. So, um, all right, let's let's go ahead and dive in here because I think I feel like there's a lot to talk about, but there's not a lot of time to do it. So, looking at this Kansas State team, first of all, you know, obviously uh, defending Big Twelve champions um, come back this year with most of that same group coming back. And at this point, I, I mean, they are seven and three on the year. Uh, you know, uh, that would be five and uh, is it what five and two in conference? Sorry, I for some reason did not have that number pulled up. Yep. Five, uh, five and yeah. two in conference, seven and three overall. Yeah. Um. I mean, is is this where Kansas State fans expected to be? Well, so so first, I'll take a little bit of uh, you know, you know. I'll say bringing everything back is a little uh, misleading when you have four draft picks. Uh, you know, you lost your number one and number three wide receiver as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I think K-State did lose uh, a little bit more than, than, than That's you're fair. kind of saying. It's, it's uh, weird. The, it, well, it's weird. Too, that because that was the knock. That was the knock on K-State. Oh, you're losing all this production, you know, in your secondary and getting your sacks and all those yards with Deuce, Malik, Cade. And, and for, for better or worse, whether K-State fans want to remember it or not, Adrian Martinez ended up with a ton of yards through the air and rushing in touchdowns himself. So yeah, that's again, fair. I, I, I think we lost a little bit more production than you're, than I you're think I was confusing. I think I was mixing up some of the, the intros. I, you know, Texas tech, I know for sure. And, and like last time they didn't lose very much at all. Um, I, I also think though, kind of some of that is that people um, don't quite recognize how much you guys lost because parts have been 
so seemingly interchangeable from year to year. Um, yeah, and, and I think especially on fair, defense. I, yeah, and, and I think that, I think that's a testament to what Chris Clemens been able to do because again, you have uh, one corner starting for the Indianapolis Colts, one who is on the practice squ- uh, squad with the Chiefs. You have two safeties that are on practice squad. Or actually, Josh Hayes was a seventh round draft pick. He's on the Buccaneers. Uh, you lose Felix and you DK Uzama, uh, first round draft pick to the Chiefs. Eli Huggins was looking like he was going to be an undrafted free agent before he hurt himself at pro day. Um, and then even just this year, Casey's experienced three season ending injuries at linebacker as well. So even on the defense, I think it's more of a testament to what Chris Kleiman's been able to do in the last, uh, what five years now uh and what he's been able to build that that folks are able to be like oh it's just you know in and out you know some a handful of back-end draft guys and and some you know big 12 you know all-conference contenders so uh, I I do think that is a credit to what he's been able to do in his time at K-State yeah for sure so I mean now that we've firmly established that I apparently I don't know as much about this team as I as I thought I might um, let's go ahead and dive in because, you know, I do think it's fair to say that the team has taken a step back, uh, from where people I think were expecting, especially with the, the, the hot start that they had to begin the year, you know, DJ Giddens having the gigantic game against UCF. Um, you know, he's at eight, basically 860 yards on the, on the season at this point. Um, I think part of that might just be kind of getting overshadowed by some of the other guys. I'm thinking, you know, specifically Ollie Gordon, um, you know, a few of the other fantastic running backs we have here in the Big 12. But it, it it feels like this team is underachieved. But when I go and I look at stuff, I don't I don't know that that's actually true. Yeah, I, I think when K-State fans were diagnosing the season, uh, I think the big outlier, and your fans are going to hate to hear this, but I don't think anyone expected Missouri to be this good. That's oh, really I agree. Big, Nobody expected that. <laughs> that's the difference. I think almost every K-State fan – uh, in the world had K state sitting at seven and two coming into the season, not me or at this point in the, uh, so uh, eight season, and two at this point with se- yeah, six yeah. and two, excuse me, sorry. Uh, or five and two, excuse me. Sorry. Right. Cause there's two more to play seven. We're through seven in the big 12. Right. Right. Right, right, right. It's been a long season. I see what you're talking I, about. Okay, I'm right yeah, there. Yeah. Right so, so, so in the big 12, yes. you're expecting them to be five and two, but yes, I think mo- overall, I think the ex- uh, the expectation at this point, though, was that it was going to be eight eight and two with two losses in the Big Twelve at this point. Correct. Yes, and the potential and undefeated to in the non-con. Yeah. So uh, again, uh, I don't think K State fans expected Missouri to be any good. I, I think we kind of flip flopped what the expectation was with Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Um, so every single for the the first two losses, the Missouri loss and the Oklahoma State loss, in the moment felt like the end of the world. Missouri turns out to be a top fifteen team. Oklahoma State figures it out and just becomes kind of like a Gundy team. Uh, you know, they, that that loss at UCF kind of took a little bit of wind out of their sails, but they're a top 25 team, maybe a top 20 team. Uh, so when you do that and go to Texas on the road, uh, it, it's rough. So uh, has K-State underachieved versus preseason expectations, maybe by a game? Um But when you kind of take a step back, you're like, man, you know, you, you would have liked to have a player or two back. Uh, you know, you do this, you do that. All of a sudden, maybe you only have one loss. Maybe uh, you're undefeated because every single one of those games were one possession games, including uh, overtime game uh, and a 63 yard field goal, a record breaking field goal in the SEC. Uh, plus what we know what happened in Oklahoma State. So 
Uh, yes, maybe underachieving a little bit, but I, I think when you take a step back, it's like, all right, you know, uh, Dr. Pepper contenders, Arlington contenders, um, top 20 type team. Um, I, I, I don't think too many K-State fans are down in the dumps where we are right now. Well, and especially when you consider just how crazy the Big 12 is at this point. I mean, you have seven teams. It least. took a while to get there, by the way. Like, yeah. everyone's saying, hey, this is going to be a nutty season uh, for the entire conference. But, like, what? <laughs> the first five games are all kind of looking around like, okay, like, what's crap, going on? Who's going to stop it, Texas and Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, and, and it finally kind of came up. Now, it might still be Texas and Oklahoma when it's all said and done. But it at least kind of lived up to that preseason billing of this is going to be a wild year in the Big 12. Yeah, but, I mean, you've got seven different teams, maybe eight. No, I, I think it's only seven, that have a potential of still getting to Arlington at this point. You have some wacky tiebreakers that have to happen for teams like Kansas to make it. Um, but they still actually have a path. Like, it requires it, – like, it, you know, I was just looking at this. It, it's not as as weird as I thought it was going to be. Oklahoma has to lose to either BYU or TCU. Kansas has to beat Kansas State. Kansas State has to beat Iowa State. Iowa State has to beat Texas. But if all that happens – and, and Oklahoma State has to lose one more to somebody. All that happens, and somehow Kansas gets to the number two seed against Texas, and it's just extremely weird how that's even possible at this point. Like, I thought I was going to have to go, like, you know, neck deep into tons of tiebreakers and all this stuff to make it happen. But that just tells you, I think, how crazy this Big 12 season has been. At this point, you still have legitimately seven teams fighting for a conference champion spot. Um which I mean, I, I, I would say that, I mean, that, that, that you did have to get neck deep to get there. If I, if I was wanting to well, know, needle you a little bit, no, but, no, but I mean, right, but I mean like, let me, let me put it like, yes, Kansas state's a favorite for, for this weekend, but it's not outside their own possibility to think that KU could win that game. Iowa I mean, state yeah, football's football. Yeah. 100%. Iowa state is a, you know, an underdog against Texas, but the way Texas has been playing and letting teams come back, like I could easily see Iowa state winning that game if they needed to. You know, the biggest question mark, really, I think for me becomes, does BYU, is BYU able to beat either, well, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, or does Oklahoma, you know, lay an egg against TCU at the end of the year? But either way, like all of those things, like you look at each of them individually, they don't seem that strange in the context of this season. Now, all of them together, you, yeah, you you probably don't have all of those happen, but I think we've seen stranger stuff happen this year already. I, would, I don't know. Would, would anything be, I mean, what, what would be stranger than BYU getting Oklahoma or Oklahoma state on the road? Well, they play Oklahoma state at home. So I think BYU, oh, so both get, of those are at home. Uh, no, no. Uh, BYU travels to Oklahoma this uh, week, but then I they, thought that was, I thought that was, I, I don't know. You, yeah. You could yeah. Be the, they're on the road to Oklahoma this week and then they host Oklahoma state next week. Next week, Oklahoma goes to TCU to end the season. Um, okay. You know, it's it's. I mean, if Houston can go on the road and beat West Virginia on a ridiculous hail mary, like I think that's uh, the weirdest thing that we've seen. No, BYU's at home, by the way, against I think Oklahoma. You have that reversed. Oh, I might in. have that wrong. Okay, okay. For some reason, I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, anyway, no, you, you're fine. And and yes, I, I guess in theory, I don't know. I I think I think BYU beating Oklahoma or going to Stillwater, I think that would be the craziest result. Uh, especially because of what's on the line, but you're not wrong. Like it it isn't, it isn't like any one of those individual games is, you know, university of, uh, you know, Maryland Bay County or whatever versus uh, Virginia. What was that? The first six. UMBC. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, That was awesome. Maryland, Baltimore County. Yes. I, I agree. It was very awesome. 
Um, so, so, uh, so yes, n- none of those are 16 verse one, but I, I think, I think, look, look, I, I, I am I not, BYU I am, I am in no way counting on Kansas going to Arlington this year. Like if it but, happens, I'm going to celebrate it. Two, but like two games in the season, so many teams can go your, your, your yeah. original point, And I just had to do my thing where I needle you, uh, your original point is correct. Yes, the Big 12 lived up to the billing of this being a wild season. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, talk about wild season. I think coming into the year, I think everyone expected Will Howard to be the guy the entire year. There was a stretch of the year where it seemed like Avery Johnson, like maybe they were going to be better served going with Avery Johnson, and it looked like maybe they were going to switch, and then they switched back to Will Howard. What has been going on at the quarterback position? What, like, led to that kind of turnaround and then reversal? And, like, like how did we get where we are right now? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So Avery Johnson, one of the top quarterback recruits from the state of Kansas. So obviously he's going to be a beloved figure by K-State fans. Um, Will Howard comes into the season and really everyone last year, they wanted Will Howard to come in. And the reason they wanted him over a- uh, Adrian Martinez is because he was forcing the issue. He was t- taking some risk. He was, you know, making a throw that, hey, you know, by the book, maybe you shouldn't, but it turns into a big play because uh, Ben Sennett grabs her, Cade Warner grabs it, Malik uh, Knowles grabs it. Um, and we, we saw it multiple times in the Big 12 championship where, hey, he made a throw, he put it through the eye of a needle, and, and it was a big play. He came in with that same mentality this year, maybe turned up a couple notches, and he was turning the ball over, uh, you know, at least once a game. Um, there was a little bit of rumblings. Of course, anytime you lose a game, fans are going to try to find something. Uh, I, I defended him after the Missouri game. I thought he played fine, but, th- but the issue was, is we saw our first taste of Avery Johnson with the first team offensive line and he was picking up eight, nine yards a, a carry. So everyone's like, Ooh, could, could this be, could this be the one? And then the rumors of him being hurt, uh, begin, you have that UCF game where you're running all over them. Uh, you know, and then you have your bye week and you're thinking, all right, you know, go, go down to Stillwater, a place where we haven't won in, you know, what, once in the last, you know, two decades, it seems like it might, it's probably not that bad, but it's pretty bad. We don't win in Stillwater. Uh, and then he has a three, four interception game. He looked horrible. It, it was the single worst game a K-State quarterback has played maybe in the history of K-State football post Snyder, um, you know, cause I'm sure there was some trash back in the seventies or even post like um, mid Snyder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even then, I don't know how many four inter three, four interception games these guys are having, but you know, you, you do have the comeback. You're like, Oh man, you know, that, that, that kind of sucked what's going on here. And then you go down to Texas tech and the offense was stalling out a little bit and they, they were kind of switching things up. And Avery goes on to have five touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns in one game sets or uh, ties a record with uh, Colin Klein, uh, the offensive coordinator. Everyone thinks, all right, this is the changing of the guard. Here we go. It, it, it's it's Avery's team. And uh, they proceed to switch back and forth uh, every single series in the TCU game. And I think Will Howard was maybe slightly better, uh, but Avery Johnson was still pretty damn good versus TCU. Uh, and then after that, um, you know, you – have the texas game you have um oh man it was the houston game i believe it was houston where avery where will is absolutely cooking and uh avery's very first snap he fumbles the ball and they decide all right we're not we're not going to mess around with it we're just going to let will cook 
So it really turns out uh, to be, uh, yes, it was the Houston game. Um, so, so then they just said, all right, we're, we're rolling with Will. We're going to give Avery some snaps. But really, I, I, I think it comes down to um, it, it was a shot to the system of Will Howard. He comes like, okay, you know, I, I can't be messing around. They have a guy they're willing to go with. And honestly, since the Oklahoma State game, and even if you include the Texas Tech game, he's only turned the ball over once. He's throwing the ball just like he did at the back end of last year. And, and K-State's offense, again, has taken off. Uh, with Will Howard being able to chuck the ball all around the field. He's distributing it now to, uh, you know, a bunch of guys each game. You know, there are a few games early in the season where there's like maybe one wide receiver caught a pass and then a couple tight ends and a couple running backs. Now you're seeing nine, 10 guys catching passes in the game. So I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it really was just like a wake up call to Will. I don't know if he is someone who just works better when he's under pressure. Keep in mind, this is the only year he's ever been the starting quarterback coming out of camp. It's the only year he's ever been the preferred starting quarterback by the staff. So maybe he just feels, you know, at home uh, having the job up in the air. I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, whatever it is, I'm glad it happened because again, he he's be, he's turned into that guy that we all hoped he would. Uh, the sad part about it was it took six games to get him there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is unfortunate it took so long because I, I know I had high expectations. You know, I, I surprised you early in the year when I was talking about how good I thought K-State was going to be. And, it, you know, so I, I guess maybe that ties into why I think they might have underachieved a little bit because I expected them to be a lot better um, just because of the way that the Big 12 was. But I, I do think that the the offense has, has hit its stride. It finally knows what it's doing. Um, it still seems to be a little bit inconsistent here and there. And I do think there is still a legitimate argument to be made um, about – about how, or I should say, a, a discussion to be had about how, you know, good this actual turnaround has been considering the level of opponents that they've had it against. And I understand, you know, the game against Texas where you had a huge comeback in the second half, but I, a lot of that I think was turnover driven. A lot of that I think was just, um, you know, when you're, when you only have to go 20 or so yards in order to get a touchdown, it's a lot easier to get a touchdown than it is when you, when you have to drive the entire field. I'm not saying that I think that they aren't. Um, you know, a much improved offense from the beginning of the year or, you know, but I, I do think it's at least reasonable to wonder, you know, did you look so good because you played a Texas Tech defense that was struggling, a TCU defense that is abysmal this year and a Houston defense that really can't do anything, um, you know, every other week. And then, of course, Baylor last week, like it, I don't think it's completely fair to write off any of that. Like, yes, you still have to play really well against the bad teams and to show that you how, how good you are. But I think if you're looking for a reason as a Kansas fan to be optimistic, I don't think it's completely unfair to say, yeah, but look who they had this offensive resurgence against. I mean, what what else about this offense has changed in the last few weeks that you think really kind of shows that this is a a forward moving trend as opposed to a where we take we took advantage of some really bad defenses? Well, my reply is we've only had one bad offensive game the entire year. So I, I, I get what you're trying to say. And, and uh, you know, it really is the Oklahoma State game. And, and if you want to throw out, uh, you know, the positive for K-State's offense, you know, versus Texas uh, because of turnovers, um, but you're not going to give the same kind of benefit as, oh, you know, turnovers, you know, that that's the only thing that stopped K-State's offense versus Oklahoma State. Um, so, uh, again, I, I, I take a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, objection, you know, with that, because if you go back and even when Will's struggling, 
we're still putting up numbers that, you know, Troy has, I know Troy, but again, did stuff to them that, that no one else has. If you look at what we were able to do versus Missouri, again, you stall out a little late due to a quarterback injury and you keep them out there. Again, you, you did that versus one of the best defensive fronts uh, in all of college football. Uh, say what you want about Texas. Again, you still put up a big number and they weren't stopping you. The only thing that stopped K-State on that game in the second half was uh, K-State. Uh, and part of it was a, a long throw to open up the second half. It, it was about to be a 50 yard gang. Keegan Johnson's going down with it, uh, bobbles the ball, it pops straight up to a Texas defender. So, um, you know, I, I, I take a little bit of objection with it. If, if I was going to be put in your shoes, if I was trying to find, uh, positives for KU's defense versus K State's offense, I would say, Hey, look, KU's defense is one of the best in uh, intercepting guys. If you look at how KU's boundary corners play, they're trying to bait you into doing something quick to the boundaries and then jump that ball. And, and again, you and I had a friendly little back and forth about, you know, turnovers and defensive touchdowns and all that type of stuff. You don't take those off off the, the scoreboard. Um, there's an element of luck to turnovers and there's a higher element of luck for defensive touchdowns. But at the end of the day, that's how KU schemes things up on defense. They're trying to bait you to do something quick to the outside and they're going to jump it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, Oh, you know, K state, you know, they turn it around. No K state has, you know, three quarters of bad offense versus Oklahoma state and two bad quarters of offense versus Texas. Uh, so I would say those are the far bigger outliers than anything else. And that isn't where you should look for confidence and hope for KU's defense. It's Will Howard earlier in the season was a turnover machine and KU's scheme is specifically set up for your boundary guys to make big plays. Yeah. I mean, I do think in kind of getting into the, the, the matchup here, you know, that is what I was going to kind of point to is that I, I think part of Will Howard, yes, he's making better decisions with the ball, but he's also been playing against teams that don't really create turnover opportunities very much. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a little bit of, you know, or I should say th- there's a, a, uh, it's not all one or the other. It's not all that he's been playing a lot better and taking better care of the ball or all that, you know, everybody has not been as good at getting turnovers in terms of who he's been playing. But I do think that there's a little bit of each um, that Kansas could potentially take advantage of. And and just to be clear, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to completely invalidate that they were able to punch it in. I do think that a turnover that you get that made that sets your offense up is a much big positive for your defense and evaluating your defense than it is for evaluating your offense. Because most teams, if they're at the 20, are probably going to score, you know, are probably going to get a touchdown. And, and, and so does have the number one touchdown rate red zone def- defense yeah. and offense in the Big 12. So, uh, again, I, I, I will I, say Oklahoma had the exact same thing when they came to can when they came to Lawrence and, and Kansas was able to turn that around. So, uh, okay, but you're you're kind of cherry picking one game because you know if if you want to look into things, KU's what middle of the pack for touchdown. No, no, no. All zone. I'm saying is that when Oklahoma came in, that was the one thing that the guy I had on, uh, you know, uh, uh, Peyton Guthrie from the through the keyhole pod came on, and that was the one thing he pointed to why he was so optimistic was because Oklahoma had the number one red zone offense, number one red zone defense, and in terms of touchdown conversion rates as well, he, he they had that at the same time. And so he was super confident that, you know, as long as Kansas didn't get a bunch of big, long scores, that they were going to be okay. And Kansas was able to punch it in from the red zone quite a few times in that game. Uh, so, again, I'm not I'm not saying that it absolutely means anything. It was just more of a comment of, I, you know, like, it's great to have that on your side. It's great to be able to point to that trend. But 
as we've seen in the Big 12 this year, that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of, you know, how the game is actually going to go. Obviously, small sample size, just a single game, you know, wonky, weird stuff happens. But um, Kansas at home has been a completely different animal, um, especially on defense, than they have been on the road. And I think a part of the problem of trying to evaluate this Kansas team on both offense and defense is that they play so much differently on the road. Like, you look at their home road splits, they're really, really bad, like really different. And, and so I do think that this is a, a situation where you can't necessarily look at what Kansas does on average because they're much better at home than they are on the road. And, you know, they're going to be at home this week. So we'll have to see how that how that plays out. But like you said, I do think that it's set up for Kansas to have a good game. The question is going to be, can they execute and can they can they force Will Howard into some bad situations or can they, you know, pop the ball out if DJ Giddens is, is, is running it? Can, can they find some way to create expertise? extra possessions for them. Yeah. I, I just want to say, I don't sign on to it. It sets up well for KU. <laughs> that, that, that is Andy Mitz saying that. I, no, I'm not, I understand I, that you don't yeah. think it sets up well for KU, but I think we've, we've had that same opinion every single year uh, in terms of who it sets up well for. And, you know, I, I, I I'm not going to re- raise the argument up again, but uh, you know, I will just point out that there was some wonkiness happening in the game last year. I think there's a really good opportunity for wonkiness to happen this year. The question is, is it going to be Kansas with a, you know, a freak fumble early in the game that sets K-State up, or is Kansas going to get a really good bounce that's going to help them? So, but regardless, last thing I'll ask on this offense, because I know that normally K-State is really good uh, on both lines, offense and defensive line. My my impression this year has been that the offensive line has not been as good as it usually is and that it still has a ways to go. They have good individual pieces, but as a cohesive offensive line, I don't think that they've quite come together the way that I would have expected based off of what they had returning. Is that a fair assessment or am I missing something? I mean, it it was a fair assessment in September, maybe October, but they're one of they're, they're, they're one of the eight finalists for the Joe Moore award, or uh, I think I have that right for the best offensive line unit in the country. Um, they have been absolutely mauling ever since uh, we came home from that Oklahoma State game. So uh, again, I I think that that was very true early on. I, I think there was a level of frustration with K State fans early on, and and I think uh, Connor Riley is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. But th- there's there has to be something about how he goes about fall camp, and, and I, I think what it is is K State rotates too much early on in the season. And it, it prevents them from uh, settling into that group of five because uh, that that's the, that's where you know the the unit more than any other thing in all of college sports matters the most. It's the offensive line and the chemistry you have there. Uh, you know, you, you started off with injuries. You had Cooper BB playing all five positions at different points this season. Um, and once you were able to get everyone healthy, once you're able to settle in on who your five is and then cut the rotation uh, from 12 in one game down to seven, because um, I, I believe it might not have been 12. I think it might have been 11 versus Missouri, played 11 offensive linemen versus Missouri. Now in non-garbage garbage time, it's down to seven guys and the rotation is all on the right side. Um I, I think they, they've found their groove. So again, I, I think that was 100% accurate. Uh, I'm not going to say that, Oh, you know, you're just making that up out of thin air. No, it was accurate in September and early October, 
But ever since that Oklahoma State game, this offensive line has been everything we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I will say, I tried to stay as up-to-date with most of the teams as possible. It is impossible to stay up-to-date with all of the teams. And unfortunately, like the last few games I've had, had personal stuff or KU-related stuff happening the same time as the game. So I haven't been able to watch them as closely as I would like. Um, so it sounds like my information was a little bit outdated. However, the one thing that is not outdated is the fantastic collection of sports apparel over at our partner here, the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company that's based right here in Kansas City, and they want you to be the best-dressed fan this season. They, You can shop from more than 30 different schools that they have. They have vintage collegiate apparel officially licensed. It's absolutely great stuff. And, of course, the Kansas and Kansas State lines are absolutely the best. Look, the beef shirt that they have for Kansas State, I'm not a Kansas State guy. I don't usually like to get a bunch of Kansas State stuff, but that is a shirt that I have had on my list because I absolutely love it. I was an offensive lineman when I played football in junior high and high school. And so, you know, I have a, a nice affinity for offensive line and, and defensive line people. And so I love that shirt. I really want that shirt. You can get it as well by going over to charliehustle.com using promo code 101215. That's T-E-N-1215 to get 15% off of all non-sale items. Uh, again, charliehustle.com, promo code 101215 to get 15% off of all of those non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, I do want to jump over, talk a little bit about the defense and the matchup and, and the game and all that stuff. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. And we're back. I am here with Scott McFarland, a.k.a. Scott Wildcat over on Twitter. Uh, we are talking, of course, about Kansas State since, you know, he does host a the Bosco's Boys, which is the Kansas State show here on the network. Um, just got done talking about offense. Let's flip, flip, flip over to the defense because you talked about all the defensive players that they lost, uh, you know, in terms of the draft and – and kind of that perception that, you know, they're just able to kind of plug and play because they've had a good defense forever. Linebackers have usually been kind of the position you look at that Kansas State is just really, really good at. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case this year. I think it's kind of more spread out across the entire defense. Who are the main standout guys on this defense? Who, like, who should you expect as a Kansas fan to hear their name called quite a bit because they're making a bunch of plays? So I, I will say um, Jake Clifton, who is – one of the better uh, linebackers we had. He started off hurt. Um, he came back. He, he'd been on fire. He he did uh, have a season-ending injury last week. So I, I was gonna you know wax poetically about Jake Clifton, but instead I am gonna talk about a linebacker uh, from Topeka, Kansas, Desmond Purnell. Um, he's been playing at an All Big Twelve level this year. He uh, he's starting this year again. Klee Duke was in the position. Uh, that uh, uh, Desmond Purnell is playing this year. Uh, Cleed Duke is now playing uh, defensive end, his native position. Uh, but he's been a madman. Uh, he started off as a walk-on safety, or uh, excuse me, a blue shirt safety, or gray shirt safety, whatever. All those whatever weird that scholarship yeah. <laughs> rules before COVID got rid of like the initial counter stuff. But he came on, he was a scholarship guy, but everyone thought, okay, this is going to be a uh, you know a long term project. He started making some plays last year and, and was more of a special teams guy and spelled. But over the last four or five weeks, he's been a man on a mission, playing with his hair on fire. Whatever cliche you want to use, uh, he has it. He he has been a menace, and I think he's going to have a big game. And and then again, the other uh, linebacker, and I think he's been uh, you know kind of in the shadows a little bit more because again, you've you've had a few guys really step up at the Mike linebacker. You've had Desmond Purnell, the Sam, uh, Sam linebacker, but the Will backer, Austin Moore, 
who who came on big time last year, he's quietly just been had just another solid season. He cleans everything up. And, and the thing that the K-State linebackers have going for them, they are very good at finding their run fits. They are very good at covering ground and using leverage and knowing where they are on the field to prevent uh, something uh, crazy happening on a routine uh, run. The, the one worry at linebacker, Austin Romaine, a true freshman, is probably going to start. He had a couple starts earlier in the season after Daniel Green was lost for the season uh, in that Missouri game. He's the one, and, and you don't love it because it's in the middle of the field, he's the one who uh, one play a game, he, he has a big miss. And if KU, if Devin Neal can uh, hit a home run on that, the, you know, there's a chance it's going to be 20, 25, 30, maybe six points. Um, so so th- there's a little worried there, but he is assignment sound. He is athletic. And then Rex Van Wy, who is a junior college guy who now is playing, they, they were saving his red shirt because he was banged up a little bit in the spring, uh, was kind of learning everything in the fall. And he was third or fourth on the depth chart at that mic. Well, uh, you know, the, the reins are off him now that he's going to be able to keep his red shirt. And he looked very good last week. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what's going on there. Uh, defensive ends, you don't have Khalid Duke. You don't have a future first-round draft pick. But you do have four guys who have had multi-sack games uh, either this year or at the back end of last year. Cody Stuffelbean, a Kansas kid from McPherson, Kansas. He had two sacks last uh, last game. Uh, Brendan Mott from uh Iowa, he had two sacks in a game earlier this season, a uh, handful of forced fumbles. Nate Matlack from Olathe, he's had multi-sack games. He's been in there quite a bit. And then Khalid Duke uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, he's been the leading sack getter. I don't know if he's still holding on to that honor, um, but but at one point he was the leading sack guy uh, for K-State. I think he's around six or seven, uh, and he's been around for a while. So really that front part of the defense you're going to hear a lot about. Um, secondary, uh, you have Keenan Garber from Lawrence, Kansas. Again, he's only been playing cornerback for a year. Like a year ago last week, he started playing cornerback because he'd been a wide receiver. He had a pick six last week. Will Lee, uh, the top corner in uh, junior college from Iowa Western, uh, he's going to be starting on the other side. And then Jacob Parrish, another Olathe kid, He, I think he'll probably start in front of Keenan Garber, but he also has the ability to play inside as well. And then safeties, that was the biggest issue in the first three games for the defense. Uh, They moved Kobe Savage from uh, free to jack safety. Marquis Siegel's a strong safety. And they're playing VJ Payne, who's a true sophomore, back at that spot where he backfilled Kobe Savage at the back end of last year. So that's the starting lineup. And and, and all of those guys are capable of having big games. But I think you're going to hear Desmond Purnell and Austin Moore heard over the PA system quite a bit on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because the way you talk about this Kansas State defense is the way that I typically talk about the Kansas defense and that there's so many different guys that can have a big game. The real question is who's going to have a big game and are they all going to be able to have decent games at the same time? And that's really, I think, where where we're sitting with a lot of it. Like, you know, Kansas does not have a high-quality, you know, potential draft pick in terms of a pass rusher, but they do have – a collection of four or five guys that have all gotten multiple sacks on the year. Um, by the way, Duke is still the the leading sack getter on the year. Matlack is one behind at four, whereas Duke has five. Um, 
But I mean, you know, Kansas has a lot of guys that are similar to that as well. And so it, it sounds extremely familiar in that there are a lot of guys that are extremely capable. It's a matter of who's going to be able to step up. For Kansas, I think it's the cornerbacks. It sounds to me like for you guys, it's probably actually going to be the safeties because that's where Kansas is going to try to throw the ball. It's going to be in the middle of the field, you know, kind of right behind the linebackers, right in front of the safeties. Um, and I think that's where Kansas is the most comfortable in the passing game. But I think the biggest thing, if you're looking at this, at this K-State defense, how, how much, how much, I don't know if worry is the right word, but how much is there um, in terms of, you know, this team being able to handle so many different things that a offense could do at any time? Because Kansas, I think, is one of the few offenses that you give them, like they give you a look and they could be doing probably seven or eight different plays out of that look that are all completely different. And so you have to prepare for those or guess which one it is. How, how well has Kansas been able to handle a team that can do those sorts of things? I mean, you know, look, they're what? Uh, case it's 25th in defensive success rate, uh, eighth in uh, net points per drive, uh, 13 on defense. So again, I, I think they are a top 25 level defense. Um, the thing that worries me is what you said. KU is going to do a lot of eye candy. They want to have your eyes going all over the place. And like you said, Andy Kotelecki, I think I said it somewhat right. You don't have to correct me. Ballpark. It's it was ballpark, no, right? it, that, that was perfect. Uh, I think I, I, I think K-State fans are at least the ones who like care about college football, uh, who watch college football, who, who dive into college football. I think there is a ton of respect for him. I think he is one of the best offensive coordinators uh, in the country. I, I, I truly believe him and Colin Klein might be the two best in the Big 12. I might be biased, uh, but I do think if they're not one and two, um, we can debate who's one, who's two. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely in the top four in the conference. I think they're both in the top 25 in the conference. I think both guys are going to be getting calls from uh, you know, lower tier power five in any FCS job, any upper tier FCS head coaching job. I think both those guys are future head coaches. Um, so there's a ton of respect. Um, with having Austin Romaine, a true freshman who has never played versus KU, uh, has never played versus one of these offenses, uh, or at least the, the KU version of it, it, it gives me a little bit of worry. Um, luckily, Austin Moore has played versus uh, this offense uh, twice already. He's going to be able to take on the communication. He's going to play every play. So it won't be the historic, you know, Mike linebacker, you know, in, in, in the NFL, it's the green dot. The green dot's always playing in the middle. Well, Austin Moore is going to be calling the defense. He'll he'll be shouting everything out. And then again, you have Kobe Savage, who's going to be lined up behind him uh, in that jack safety role. So he's going to make sure that Austin remains in, in the correct spot. And again, you might see a little bit of Bill Palmer. You might see a little bit of Rex Van Wy. So th that is my biggest worry. Um, luckily, I don't know if it's luckily or not. Luckily, that, that's just one spot that, that I'm, I'm worried about. I, I have a lot of confidence on the boundary guys. I have a lot of confidence with the safeties. And again, I have a lot of confidence in our three down linemen as well. Um, but but at the end of the day, when you're going up against uh, an offense that's capable of putting up points uh, against anyone, uh, it, it, there is an element of anything can happen. Um, I'm confident in the K-State defense. I, I think that we have, again, you can, you can say whatever you want about some of these teams, but uh, when K-State played them, Texas Tech had, you know, a top 30 offense in the country. When K-State played Houston, 
you know, if you look at what they do again, you know, I, you can find a stat for anything, but again, some of their offensive success rate, especially passing before that K state game, they were a salty team. Uh, TCU has put up points. I, again, I, I think they've quit. I think they've kind of mailed it in. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they've played a bunch of nobodies. And, and again, I, I think the big play over the top is what's hurt K state the most. Um, I don't know if KU is capable. I, I don't want to say capable. I don't think that's their MO. I don't think they're bread and butter saying, Hey, we have guys and we're going to beat you. I think they're, I think where they're at their best is, when they are able to sneak out, you know, a tight end and everyone forgot where he was and boom, that's a 50 yard play. Um, or, Hey, you know, they're running a crossing pattern or they're doing something in motion and your cornerback's completely lost and boom, there's a touchdown. Um, so I I'm hoping the communication's good. I'm hoping that they're on their P's and Q's because if they're not, I'm going to have a lot of KU fans finding old tweets of mine. So well, what uh, I will say is um, you should ask Iowa state fans about, Kansas ability to go over the top or Oklahoma state fans as well. Um, Cause Kansas did that to both of them. They just went over the top over and over again. In fact, Jason Bean had five touchdown passes of 30 yards or more because he kept going over the top on Oklahoma state. Um, I, I don't know. I think what, what really you look at though is, and, and this is what Andy Kotelnicki is so good at is adjusting to what he's seeing on the field. I don't think that there is an offensive coordinator that is better at completely changing the game plan based off of what they've seen on the field because he has now great. He has so many options and they have drilled so much stuff and they've been so consistent and had the same continuity of players and coaches for so long that you have a much bigger playbook. I think than you, that you can draw from than most teams because they have had basically three years at this point to install everything. And so I do think that that's a, an advantage only because of institutional consistency that you can't necessarily have when you don't have the same players playing for three years straight, you know, in the same system with all the same coaches. And so, you know, I think this year's a little bit different than past years because we've seen games where Kansas, you know, pounds it on the ground and finds holes and, you know, goes really slow and methodical. They did that against UCF quite a bit. Um, you know, even though UCF kind of gave them a ton of, of uh, big plays as well, but you know, the game plan was to be on the ground and, and go as slow as possible and, you know, use the legs that you had to, to kind of run that timeout and everything. Whereas Oklahoma State, they just bombed the, they bombed the crap out of that team. Um, they did the exact same thing to Iowa State. Like, Iowa State, they set up big, long plays. There was uh, – Lawrence Arnold was talking about how, you know, he was looking at the tendency of the Iowa State safety to crash down to help protect against the run. And he did that four or five times on a play where – you know, Arnold was crossing over the middle. I think mean, he wasn't deep enough for it, you know, for them to throw it over the top and there wasn't enough time to do it. But they saw that, they communicated that. And then immediately after Iowa State got really close, it's like, okay, we're going to run that play. And Arnold goes deep. The safety bites goes up towards the run, you know, goes up to try to protect against the run. And, uh, you know, that's a, it's an 80 yard touchdown. So I do think that Kansas has that capability. The real question is, is enough stuff going to show up during the game for them to switch to that? Is it going to be a huge part of their game plan or are they going to find success elsewhere? I think the biggest question for me on whether Kansas' offense is successful is how willing are they to make quick changes to how they're going to do things? Are they going to be super stubborn, you know, and run, um, you know, up the gut for first and second down for the entire first half like they did against Texas Tech before opening things up? Or are they actually going to make those changes? I'm not really sure which one we're going to see, but I'm I'm hoping it's going to be a good game and that we're going to see entertaining back and forth. I'm not going to guarantee a Kansas win, but I do think that they have a very good chance here. 
Um, I do want to, though, before we actually get into the official predictions, there is one other thing that we like to do here on the Rock Chalk Podcast, and that is to take a look at all of the uh, lines from our sponsor, the uh, Price Picks. Price Picks, they are the legal way to play daily fantasy. They have all kinds of different player props that you can pick, whether it's college football, NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, soccer. They even have like League of Legends and all kinds of really weird random stuff. Pick two to six different players or, you know, people or teams or whatever. Pick those lines, either over or under. You can win up to, I believe it's a hundred times of what you have uh, or of what you bet, depending on, you know, how, how many you string together and everything. But it's, it's a whole lot of fun. I've been doing it all year long. I did it last year too. Um, they have all kinds of great stuff. Unfortunately for this game, there's enough unknown about the Jayhawks with the uncertainty of whether Jay, Jason Bean is going to be starting um, or if it's going to be Cole Ballard because of that head injury that, uh, you know, they don't have any lines for any of the KU players, but they do have lines for a bunch of Kansas State players. So uh, before we before we get into those really quick, though, you guys can go ahead and get involved. You can get a 100% match on your first deposit up to $100 if you use promo code CHALK12. That's chalk one 2 over on the PrizePix app or over at PrizePix.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into these. Again, they don't have anything for Kansas, but they do have quite a bit for Kansas State. They've got two different rushers. Uh, they had, uh, let's see, DJ Giddens at 87.5 yards and Treshawn Ward at 52.5 yards. Do either of those jump out to you as extremely poorly set? Uh, no. I mean, th- those are about right at where their season averages are. Um, I would, if, if I was going to play it, I would choose uh, DJ Giddens and go over and then Sean on the under. So I, I would, I would kind of uh, split those up. I don't See, feel confident. I'd, in either I'd probably one, flip it. I'd probably Wait, say, time out. Is it, is it rushing yards or yards from scrimmage? Rushing. Ah, yeah. Just rushing uh, yards. I, I look, I still, I, I think DJ's going over a hundred uh, rushing in this game. And I, I think once, and here's the thing, when, when one of those guys is hot, uh, you know, they, they do a good job and it's not much of a rotation. It's really just to spell them. So if DJ gets going early, I don't think you're going to see a lot of Trayshawn. So um, that's what I would do. Um, I could be wrong though. I don't know. Yeah. The, the only reason I would go towards Trayshawn as opposed to DJ Giddens here is, um, you know, Kansas one, they got embarrassed by Taj books last week, uh, you know, at the, at the very beginning of the game, but then they clamped down in the second half, second half, they allowed 22 total rushing yards, including negative one rushing yards in the fourth quarter. Um, so this defense has the ability to clamp down on the run. If they're very physical up front and are taking good lines, very clear. They actually talked about it afterwards about how they just weren't taking you know, they weren't being as aggressive as they knew they could be. They weren't doing the things that they were supposed to do. And that allowed Texas Tech to kind of do whatever they wanted rushing. And, you know, so I, I think that if it starts to go bad, they're going to clamp down a little bit earlier. I do think that Trayshawn Ward is probably going to um, kind of be that change of pace back that is going to allow them to do a few more things than they normally would. And I think this, just, just the fact that his line is lower at 52 and a half yards, I think makes it a little bit easier for him to go over. Whereas I think Kansas is going to focus in on DJ Giddens quite a bit to make sure that he does not run all over them because they've seen what he can do against some of the other teams that have been really good this year. All right, let's jump over to wide receivers because again, nothing for KU, but for K state, I think there was five of them. It was ridiculous. No four. Uh DJ Giddens, 18.5 receiving yards over. Yeah. I, that, that one seems so easy. Like, he catches one pass and he probably has over that. Yeah, he, he's either not going to catch a pass or it's going over. 
Right, exactly. Uh, Philip Brooks at 51.5 receiving yards. I wouldn't touch it. Uh, If forced, I'm going to say under, but he's like going to be right around 50. He's going to be between 45 and 55. Yeah. No in between. It's it's a lot like some of the Kansas players like Luke Grimm or, you know, Quentin Skinner or um, Mason Fairchild. Like if they get two catches, they probably go over because they typically get big catches for, you know, 20 or 30 yards. If they don't catch the ball, though, obviously they go under. But, like, it's either they're going to blow right past it or it's going to be extremely disappointing because they don't get the ball at all. Um, oh, that's the exact opposite, actually. Oh, he's, really? He's 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 either going to – he's going to have four or eight catches, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be 45 to 55 yards. Interesting. So. That's great. Um, if, you know, you could get a line at, you know, 42 yards or something like that. But, okay. Yeah, no, it doesn't help yeah. with this one. Ben, Ben Sano, the, the tight end at 38.5. Senate, yeah. Senate, sorry. Uh, 38.5 yards. Over. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where that's, a lot of teams are going to be. That's preferred, the preferred target. Oh, well, and, and honestly, I think Kansas sh- struggles with tight ends that can actually catch passes, um, you know, unless they're getting a bunch of pressure. What they've been able to do is neutralize tight ends by require, or by being aggressive enough on the pass rushing that the tight end has to stay in a block more often than not. Um, which, if that's the case, they're still going to use Ben Sennett in the slot, and then they're going to bring in Will Swanson to do that blocking. So, okay. again, so in other words, he'll be a tight end in name only. Um, technically, actually, point. he's only a full. If we want to get weird, he's listed as the starting fullback. Actually, not even tight end. It's funny, so. Jared. Jared Casey's the same way. He's listed as a fullback slash tight end uh, on the roster. They put him as a tight end because he was very small for a fullback when he first got onto campus. Um, so they didn't want to list him as a fullback because nobody would take it seriously. And now he's, I mean, he is, he is in the depth chart as a tight end, but he is definitely, um, has that fullback in him because of how much he loves to block. So, all right. Keegan Johnson is the last one, uh, at 37.5 yards. I mean, I mean, look, he, he, he's come on like Texas after that interception that he caused, he had a massive second half and, uh, he, he was involved last week. I'm going to say the under though. Um, he, he, uh, I mean, he's been a massive disappointment. Uh, you just got to kind of hope that he's healthy next year and he lives up to the hype. Um, but I'm going to say under, but at the same time, he has, he has the athletic ability and, he, and, and, and if he gets involved in the game early, he could go for 120, but I've seen way too many games where he put up, put up a goose egg. So I'm, I'm going to say under. All right. And then just the last couple ones here, um, total receptions. For Philip Brooks, it's four four receptions. For Ben Sennett, it's three point five. I think over but, on both of those. Yeah, if you had to over on both of them again, that's that Phil Brooks like number. Yeah, the Philip one is right yeah. at the right spot to make you so, wonder. Yeah, so that's a good one. That's a bad number for Ben Sennett. He 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 like was shut out of a game because he had an ankle or injury early, and we were blowing out. I think it was TCU, but uh, he he's gonna have at least five. I think. All right. Well, that was our prize pick sponsored segment, uh, picking all of those. Uh, let's go ahead and finish up here with your prediction for the game. Obviously, there's a lot going on here. This is Sunflower Showdown. It is the final game for a lot of Kansas seniors. Um, what are you looking at in this game? The fact that Kansas actually has a home crowd now at this point to, to put up some resistance to all of the K-State fans that are going to be there as well. Um, what do you think the overall atmosphere is going to be like, and, and who do you have winning the game? Yeah, on the atmosphere first. Look, I, I've uh, I, I counted it up. You know, I've been to ten some or ten sunflower showdowns in Lawrence. This is going to be my eleventh one. You know, 
going as a, a tiny little baby Scott Wildcat in 98 and 2003. I haven't missed a Sunflower Showdown at all since 2020, uh, since 2007. Um, right. That was the purple pants. That was the final. I think so. No. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, since 2007, that one was in Manhattan, but 2008 here, here's a fun fact. Here, here's a little piece of, uh, history for you, Andy Mitz in 2008 in 2010, you're looking at a family zone four pack season ticket holder for the university of Kansas. Um, because back then it, it was like, I think four, uh, season tickets in the GA end zone for $350 and the face value of the K state ticket. Those years were 85. So I, I was selling on StubHub. I was a ticket broker, uh, my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, they sent me KU football season tickets to Haymaker hall in Manhattan, Kansas. I was selling them on, uh, on uh, StubHub, and I was going to the K-State game with three of my friends for free for both of those. Uh, oh, but so what point- I'm hearing is that there was a two-year period where Scott McFarland was a KU football a, a season, season ticket, ticket holder, holder for, for Kansas 110%. football. Man, you are 100% that makes correct. you a diehard KU football fan. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It makes me a smart businessman. <laughs> no, I know. You I know. know. I, I had a lot of – I had a lot of uh, – Definitely not beer money because I wasn't 21 any of those years. Um, so I've seen a lot of K-State KU football in uh, Memorial Stadium. I think there have been times where, you know, it's kind of like a joke. Oh, you know, it's a K-State home game. There were some games in there that there were more K-State fans. Oh, yeah. And and then there have been games recently where it, where it truly was 50-50. Uh, you know, outside of maybe the, the Les Miles, the first year for Les Miles, the who is K-State game. Um, that was maybe 60, 40 KU. I, it's going to be, you know, I was saying 70, 30, 75, 25, maybe even 80, 20 KU fans. Um, this is going to be the most hostile, uh, Kansas, uh, Memorial stadium that K state has experienced, uh, probably since 2008. Um, I, which, I think, which was the, uh, I was actually at that game. I rushed yeah, the field he, to help tear down the goal, the goalposts. So, well, did you guys, I mean, cause I was Ron Prince with the purple pants and then he was fired the next day. Did yeah, you guys I'm, rush for that? One? I'm pretty sure we rushed because it was the first time we beat you guys in a while. No, 2005 was the first time you guys beat us. Oh, in you a know while what? Because, I think that's the one I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Cause two th- or 2004, you guys beat us in 2004 and then six, seven, yeah. and eight with Ron Prince. Yeah, because I remember the, the score, the 31 28. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, sorry. So, so that yeah, was, I, was, I don't think you guys rushed because that was the year after your guys' Orange Bowl. So, I, yeah, I don't think, yeah, you guys we didn't rush. rush the field then. You're right. No, no, no. Um, Gosh dang it. When the K State guy knows KU history better than you. No. <laughs> look, house divided. My mother was a uh, baby Jayhawk. My brother got his bachelor's from K State, his master's from KU. He's been a KU season ticket holder ever since he graduated from K State. Um, have one cousin who graduated from KU, a lot of KU uh, fans on that side of the fa- family. So I, I know my, K- I here, I, again, this is, this is so us. I bet you that I could go toe-to-toe with the average KU fan when it comes to knowing KU football history. Oh, gosh, probably, from, yeah. like, 1990 to present. Um, well, the biggest problem with that is because... The average KU the fan average KU KU fan, KU football. Right, didn't watch <laughs> KU football during most Until of Until recently. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so, so again, w- w- when you talk atmosphere, look, it's, g- it's going to be the most pro-KU crowd 
uh, at least since the Les Miles, uh, his first year. Um, maybe honestly, 2010, K State had just gotten rocked by Nebraska. You guys were two or three weeks removed from putting it on Georgia Tech. So it's probably going to be the most KU crowd since 2010, uh, maybe even going back to, uh, like I said, 2008. Uh, so, so it's going to be a fun atmosphere. Um, I, I think it's going to be the second or third most hostile, probably the second or third most hostile environment K-State's played in. Uh, early on in that Texas Tech game, it was pretty wild. The Oklahoma State game was pretty wild. I'll tell you this right now. I was at K-State, Missouri in Columbia. There was maybe like eight to 10,000 K-State fans. That might be a little much, but it was a sold out crowd. Their first sellout in, in decade, not a decade, but in a long time. And I'll tell you what, those posers in Columbia, Missouri, they don't have atmosphere. They didn't get, there wasn't a single moment in that game where it was even loud at all, except for the final field goal. So I'll tell you this, it will 100% be louder at David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium than it ever was at Farrow Field in Columbia, Missouri. I can guarantee you that. So I'm looking forward to the atmosphere, quite frankly. Um, prediction for the game. I said 37-17 on my show. I, again, I, I have no idea what's going on with Jason Bean. I'm I'm a Bean guy. I I said it. I think I said it to you. I don't think the difference between Jason Bean and, and JD is as big as some KU fans want to think. We can save that for a, another time. I think Jason Bean is a very good quarterback. I mean, you have to start talking about Jason Bean as being second to only Todd Reesing. You know, in what the in this millennium, I mean, seriously, um, he he is good. He he's banged up. If he's playing, uh, look, it looked like there was a nasty. It could have, you know, obviously his leg looked a little banged up. Uh, looks like there was some concussion type stuff. I'm I, I I'm serious. You know, I I I hope I hope he is okay. Um, yeah, but the last gets report. I say, yeah, I mean, he, the last he, report was that he was practicing, practicing. and that he, they were expecting him to start. So, yeah. So again, um, but he's not a hundred percent. Obviously, coming off of that, he's not going to be looking to do as much with his legs. Uh, so, so I was thirty-seven, seventeen. Now, if you if you were told telling me we were getting closer to a one hundred percent Jason Bean, I, I, I would probably be thirty-seven, twenty-four, thirty-seven, twenty-seven, some somewhere in that route. Um, I will say something weird must have happened at the books since we started talking. The line has gone up to nine and a half some places. So um, I don't know what Vegas thinks they know, um, but I, I'm sticking at thirty seven seventeen. Uh, but I think it's going to be like you know ten ten early, and uh, K State will have uh, either a couple big plays and they'll just kind of get out and run away from it. Um, so so that's my prediction. Um, sure, hope I'm not wrong. Um, because, uh, I'm reminded by KU fans every time you guys go to a bowl game of a, of a joke, it was a half joke tweet with my friend, uh, Ryan Reinhardt, uh, another KU podcast. Oh yeah. Um, but I was joking with him back and forth, uh, when he was like, oh yeah, you know, Lance Leipold, you know, look how high he is in the coach rankings. And I was joking with him. I was like, oh, he's going to be no different. He's never going to go to a bowl game and he's never going to beat K-State. And we, yep, we were having I remember fun that. with that. Yeah, we were having fun with it, and then sure enough, back-to-back bowl games by uh, KU. KU fans sure love to remind me of that. So uh, I also said he wouldn't beat K-State. So I'm sure if it happens, 
Uh, my mentions are going to be awesome. Well, don't again, forget I- that we said on here on this podcast two years ago that you know the whole would Kansas win before a different governor gives out the governor's cup? And well, we didn't really have we didn't really have a bet on that. I was just kind of joking with you. I, I think I think when I came on, uh, you know, KU had that lead. I said, okay, how many is KU going to win the next twenty five? And you're like, oh, you know, seven or eight. And uh, so, I mean, that's the one I remember. I don't remember having a conversation about the governor. Um, I think you just kind of declared it. I think you just no, said, No, hey, I'll, I'll another... go pull the audio and send it to you at some point. Are you sure with it, was, it was with me? Absolutely. Okay. All I, right. I, I, but I don't regardless. remember. But regardless. Yeah, but, but, I... yeah so I don't think it's going to be this one. Again, KU is going to eventually get K-State. I'm not going to sit here and say that K-State's going to win, you know, another 15 in a row. I don't think it's going to be this year, though. So 37-17 K-State is what I have it at. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to disagree with you, obviously, as, as a KU fan. Um, I do have Kansas winning this game, um, but it's going to be a close one, I think, the entire way through. I like Kansas State is is a good enough team that they are going to make this very difficult. I honestly even think that Kansas will probably be trailing at some point in the fourth quarter. Um, but just the way that this team, as, as, you know, all of this is, of course, assuming that Jason Bean is is playing. Um, if if it's Cole Ballard, all all bets are off because as as well as he played in the second half against Texas Tech, um, you know he is a true freshman walk on who has the reins uh, for this team. So, uh, but assuming that Jason Bean's playing and he's at least you know seventy five percent, I do think that they have the ability with all the different weapons that they have to even confuse a Kansas State defense that is very solid. Um, it's just a matter, honestly, of how well can the Kansas defense stop the run game of the Wildcats. And, you know, they've done it against some really good teams. They, you know, they slowed down Oklahoma for quite a while. They slowed down a ton of other teams as well. And the fact that they were able to come back and stop Texas Tech the way that they did, I think shows enough that this team hasn't given up and that they're ready for this type of win. Plus, you know, there's a lot of players that have been here a really long time that this is their last chance to beat Kansas State. They've been here often enough and they know how important this one is. I do think that they've got enough guys that have that extra juice that they'll be able to go ahead and pull this one off. I'm going to go with something like, uh, we're going to go 28-24 KU uh, in this one. So I will be very interested to see who actually, you know, wins this game. I'm sure that we will catch up at some point, especially during basketball season. And one of us can raz the other for the, you know, the horrible football take that we had at the end of the year. So we'll get all that figured out. But Scott, for, for those that want to get more information about Kansas State, follow what you do. Where's the best place to do that? Yeah, uh, at Bosco's Boys on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can find it wherever podcasts are. We've been going uh, five days a week uh, starting back in August. We're going to see that through November, including on Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll, we'll get into December. I don't know if we're going to see it all the way through uh, the new year like we did last year, um, especially since, you know, the, the Big 12, you know, partnering with WWE the day before they completely change everything. Uh, to de- decide who's going to compete for a title, you know, cons- no, there's no conspiracy. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I, so, so I'm putting, I'm putting out a ton of, uh, ton of episodes. Um, so if you want to listen, uh, please do, um, at Scott Wildcat on Twitter. Um, if, if you want to go back and forth, please do. Um, yeah, that, that's it. Uh, I always appreciate awesome. coming on. Well, yes, I, I appreciate having you on here. And as much as we like to, give each other crap, you know, it's, uh, you got to have someone to kind of keep you in line every once in a while. So really appreciate you coming on here, but that is going to do it for us today. Thank you, Scott, so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please to go out where, 
wherever you get your podcasts, whereas Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments. It'll be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people want to try to interview anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 1012 Podcast Network, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, partnering with Sports Social, the biggest podcast network over in Europe. Um, you can find links to all the great shows we have by going to 1012network.com. And, of course, support us over on the Patreon. We have a lot of great stuff going up there. I had a, um, you know, uh, Big 12 basketball teams as uh, as dogs, thanks to... Uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson talking at Big 12 Media Days. So make sure you go check that out. But uh, visit our sponsors, uh, Price Picks and Charlie Hustle. And that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Awesome. Sports Social Podcast Network.